Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to have a blast. We're going to laugh. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to laugh. Hey, pretty lady, how are you? <laughs> All right. So we're going, she's like, me, I don't, are you, you're not supposed to talk to me. It's a lot of smoking here. Somebody been smoking cigarettes in here or something? I don't understand what this. All right. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to laugh. Some people think that you shouldn't laugh in church. That's what they think. My response to that is always, what good father doesn't want to hear his children's laughter in his house? So we'll laugh, it'll be awesome, and if you don't laugh, it's okay, I already got my check, I'll be good. <laughs> no, so what'll happen today? So I wanna share some things with you from my childhood. It's basically really my story of being around the church and being around those types of people. And then, uh, and there's three verses of scripture that's gonna apply to what I talk about today. And then afterwards, I'll probably be out in the lobby if you liked what, I, what happened today, I could sign some stuff and and take pictures with your babies. But I'm not paying child support. That happens sometimes. People are like, well, I got a picture with you. <laughs> that's not true at all. Anyway, so there's three verses of scripture that's gonna apply to what we talk about today. Three verses. You can write them down. You don't have to read them right now, but you should write them down. I believe when you read them later on today, they're gonna pop in a new way as a result of what we talk about. It's gonna be kind of dope. So Jeremiah 29:11 is one of the scriptures. And then there is John 10, 27. And then uh, there is also Revelations 3, 20. Yeah, they're on the screen. That was fast. Wow. They were just in my head. Now, boom, there they are. Let me try something different. What am I thinking now? No, please don't put that up. <laughs> and if you want an extra scripture, there's a second Romans 15. Yeah, there's no second Romans, by the way. I, just, I, just, I was just testing to see if you all was going to write that down. If you have a second Romans in your Bible, it should go back to Dollar Tree. <laughs> All right, so we're laughing at church already. We're laughing a little bit. When I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. You couldn't laugh. I remember one time, I'm seven years old, my grandmother took me to this church and this dude is jumping around. I mean, this, this lady's jumping around and her wig fell off. I'm seven years old, I crack up laughing. My grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch, you gonna twist? That's the devil right there. That's what I was thinking. That's the devil. Church was miserable going, growing up. You understand? It was miserable. I go to this church and my, first of all, my clothes were so uncomfortable. My shoes were like three sizes too small. But my grandmother had this thing called a shoehorn. So if your foot don't fit, now it do. And church lasts six hours. So my toes is balled up for like six hours at a time. It was so bad. And then my shirt. Every Sunday, I would wear a white and brown shirt every single Sunday. It was really tight. Actually, it was just white, but the buttons were so tight. <laughs> There's an extra button right here that didn't even, it was just really uncomfortable. And I go to this church and this dude is up on stage, right? And every week he was mad at everybody because he was yelling at them. And he had some phlegm caught in his throat that he would always try to get out at the end of every sentence. He'd be like, the Lord said, ah. act like you're, ah. I'm like, Grandma, what's wrong? He just gargle or something, Grandma. It was miserable. He had a Bible in his hand. He kept playing like he was going to throw it at people. He was like, ah, the Lord, ah. and everybody would get scared because they didn't want to get hit by the Bible. This is my thinking. They'd get scared. They'd be like, hey, man, hey, man. I realize now they were saying, hey, man. I didn't know. Nobody was teaching. I went to church one time, there's a dead body in the front. Nobody explains to a seven-year-old Michael Jr., this is a funeral, 
it's not church. I'm thinking, yo, this is how they roll. Like every few weeks or so, they bring a dead body in as an example or something. And a dude on stage would yell at us like we did it. I asked my grandma, I was like, Grandma, what happened to the man in the box? What happened to the man in the box? Her whole explanation was, he in a better place. All I was thinking was, what kind of box did he live in before? It was miserable. So at 14 years old, my grandmother did something different. Instead of forcing me to go to church, she asked me if I wanted to go. She gave me an option. I was like, let me think this over, grandmother. No. So I stopped going to church. I just hung out with my friends, and we were broke growing up. We ain't had no money. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. <laughs> That's a funny joke, man. <laughs> some, some Christians don't know what to do with that joke. You can't laugh and shake your head. <laughs> when you don't have no money, you get creative. I remember I wanted an action figure when I was a kid. I wanted an action figure. My birthday comes along. My dad hands me a box. I opened it up. It was empty. He said, it's Invisible Man. I played with that thing for three weeks. My brother hid it from me. I couldn't find it nowhere in the mail. It was messed up. Man. I also made a deal with a friend of mine that we wouldn't curse anymore. Let's be real. you like, at this age, I'm like, I'm like 14 years old, and me and a friend, we don't know nothing about Jesus, so as soon as we leave the house, we'll start cursing to feel like a man. That's what we would do. I mean, that's just how it was. I thought that's, that would make me a man. Then we made a deal with each other. We decided to stop cursing. And if he heard me curse, he could just hit me in the chest as hard as he wanted to, and I had to stand there and take it. And dude could hit really hard, so I stopped cursing immediately. We played other violent games, too. Remember the game Slugbug? If you're from the East Coast, they call it Punch Bug. Here's how the game works. If you see a Volkswagen bug, you get to hit your friend. Those are all the instructions. <laughs> In my neighborhood, they would take this game a little too far. They would add to the game. You ever play Uppercut Fire Truck? <laughs> what about Minivan Body Slam? You ever play that game? <laughs> it was always this crazy dude in a group who would make up games on the spot, like hit you in the throat, tall building. <laughs> you play too much, man. I also noticed at this age that I was struggling with my reading. Now, I knew I was struggling before, but I didn't care. But now I'm struggling with my reading, and I don't want the girls to know it. I, like, I couldn't sound words out phonetically. It just didn't work that way. My mind would start to scramble. By the way, I read fine now. Like the signs that are over the door that say excite. I can read that stuff. But I used to struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound words out phonetically. It just didn't work. I want to look at the font size, the color, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind the word, how people responded to it. I actually came up with seven different ways to look at a word to determine what that word was. Then I got really good at it to the point in high school, I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place that I pull my comedy from. So that very thing from my past that looked like it was a handicap. It seemed as if I was dealt a bad hand. God didn't cause it, but he's used it in preparation for what he has me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing, even though I didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this again so you can hear what I'm saying. That thing from your past, the fact that you maybe never met your dad before, one of your parents was an alcoholic, you were molested, you were raped as a child. God didn't cause that, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. Chances are you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing. I'm here to let you know. God did not cause it, but he will absolutely use it. So as a result of my practice, I find funny everywhere. It just shows up because that's the way I think. 
Like God gave me a gift, but also it's through the practice it's gotten even stronger. For example, people ask weird questions. I have somebody say to me, Michael Jr., where are you from originally? I'm like, originally? Huh. Well, I was conceived in Michigan. Before that, I was with my dad. Yeah. Dinner's a swim competition. Um, and I won, which is crazy, right? Because currently I don't swim at all, man. But I used to be fast, man. I was fast, man. That's fast, man. Yeah. Hey, explain that to her later on, man. All right. Man. Just that, man. <laughs> I just have a different way of thinking as a result of this practice. It is so much fun. Now, 26 years old. I moved to New York City. Hope you're tracking with me. Went from seven years old to 14 years old, 26 years old. Why did I move to New York? Well, I grew up in Michigan, and now I'm doing comedy. And it's going okay, but I want to move to New York because I want to know for sure if I'm funny or not. Because in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. (laughs) So there's this comedy club there called the Comic Strip Live, and it's a very hard comedy club to get into. Comedians who are new in town, like myself, would start lining up at six o'clock in the morning so they can put their name in a hat in hopes that it gets drawn out and they can do 90 seconds in front of the manager at 7 p.m. It is very hard to get into this club. So it's finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live and right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now George Wallace is very established as a comedian. When he walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next. He walks in. The manager starts walking over towards me. I'm like, no. But this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. The manager comes over to me and says, hey, Michael, listen, George Wiles is here. Uh, You want to go before him or after him? You never get an option. You never get an option. You never get an option. I was like, before him, please. So I'm going before George Wallace, and I got New Yorkers laughing. But not only are they laughing, he comes in as well, and he's laughing. And then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians. They're asking questions. They're all around him. He leaves them. He walks out of that huddle, literally, and walks over to me. And he says, you know what? You're really funny. I was like, oh, wow. Thanks, man. He said, and you're clean. He said, let me ask you a question. He's like, why don't you curse? I was like, I don't know. What if my grandmother walk in or something? <laughs> my grandmother wasn't coming to New York, let alone a comedy club. What else was I going to say? My friend might hit me in the chest. I'm a grown man. I didn't have any reason not to curse. I just didn't curse. And then he said to me, he said, you know, you're funny, you're clean. I'd like for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I was pumped. You know how hard it is to get stage time in New York City, let alone with somebody like George Wallace? He says, me and my best friend will be there. And he gives me the address. I get to the show. It's me, George Wallace, Jerry Seinfeld. Yo, I did two shows. I got two standing ovations. I rip. I'm the man. I'm like, yeah. After the show, club manager. It's a different club. He walks up to me and says, Mike, you had a great set. Hey, let me ask you a question. Would you, like to go to, would you like to go to church with me this weekend? And I was like, I was like, man, back up. You're making my feet hurt. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't want to go to church. I just got two stand ovations. Why are you messing this up right now? So I'm going to pause for a second and tell you, my f- a thought that I had when he invited me to church was back up, you're making my feet hurt. I literally had that thought, like for real. But it didn't make sense because my feet weren't hurting. I just had the thought, why? So 
in retrospect, years later, I've been looking at this, and I was curious as to why was that a thought. Well, if you recall, when my grandmother took me to church, I had those shoes on that were so small, and they hurt every time I went to church. So I built up a negative neuroassociation that said that church meant pain. So now that when I was an adult, when people would approach me with God's word or a Bible or invite me to church, I would immediately feel a thought of pain and assume it was those people and get a, go away from them. But the truth, it wasn't. It was just me thinking that church meant pain, but it was a lie. Once I saw that, I was free to really say, okay, I'll go to church. Some people in this room, there may be something that's causing you to not get that close to God or not get that close to people or not really read his word, and it may be something completely unassociated with him. Had I known then what I know now, I probably would have became a Christian way earlier. I just didn't know. I'm going to jump back into the story. I think I was standing here when I was in it. So he invites me to church, and I was like, nah, I'm cool, man. I don't want to go to church, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question, but she was fine. <laughs> I'm talking about beautiful. Listen, this is an extra little nugget if you want it. There's only two reasons you do anything in life. There's only two reasons. Test this when you go home. Test this when you get in your car. Test it where you're sitting right now. Only two reasons you do anything in life. One is to avoid pain. The other is to gain pleasure. There's no other reasons. So his fiance asked me if I want to go. He asked me if I want to go to church. I was like, nah, man, I'm cool. I want to go to church. She asked me and she was fine. She pales in comparison to my wife now, but I didn't have a wife then. She was fine. She had this accent too. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. Shoot. I was saying I need a church, you know what I'm saying? So I go to this church and I can't even find these people, right? And I'm sitting in the back and this dude comes out on stage, like Pastor Rob, he comes out on stage and he's just talking about Jesus. He's not screaming, he's not yelling, he don't got no perm, he's just talking. <laughs> then he did this thing where he did like an altar call and he said, if you want Jesus in your life, all you got to do is believe your heart, raise your hand, do this prayer, and Jesus is yours. And I really wanted to do it. Yo, like, I really wanted to, but I was like, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. Because I knew a couple Christians, and they was creepy. There are some creepy Christians out there. If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. Yeah, yeah, your friends know one. So I told myself, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. I don't know what this stuff is about. I'm going to get my life, like, that stuff was weird, so I... I told myself I'd read the Bible before I became a Christian. I even have a Bible. Then a few days later, I'm at like O'Hara Airport and this lady at, at the mall area, and this lady just hands me a Bible. And she walked, we don't even exchange words. So I open up the Bible, I'm like, snap, let me read it. First thing I read was the copyrights. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Me too, that's crazy, man, we never met. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm going to church. Now I really want to give my life over to Jesus, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. I'm reading the Bible, going to church, reading the Bible, going to church. I got to the part in, about the job. I'm like, no wonder I don't want one of them. That is crazy. So I keep reading. I'm kind of disappointed in some of you guys. So I keep reading. I keep reading. I got to the part in Matthew that said, Jesus died for me. I did not know until I was 27 years old that Jesus died for me. So I read it in Matthew. I didn't know. I had no idea. I turned to Mark and he died again. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> then in Luke, I get to John. I'm like, why are you going back in the garden, Jesus? You know what's going to happen. <laughs> I wish that was a joke I wrote. I actually thought Jesus died four times. 
So I finish reading the Bible and I go to church and I give my life over to Jesus. And now in that moment, like I don't understand everything by any means, but now I understand my, my sense of humor, the way that I think, like God set me up with this. And then he used the practice that I've gone through on this earth to refine it. He didn't cause the practice, but he's used the practice to refine it and make it even stronger so I can have a bigger impact to his glory. So now I get some celebrities that I won't name who ask me questions about God. And they say stuff like, explain God to me. And I can't just explain God. If I could explain him, he wouldn't even be God. So they'll say stuff like, well, explain to me, how is it I can do all these things that I'm doing and people still say that God wants a relationship with me? This is all I could come up with at the time, and it's not even close to how awesome God is, but this is what I said. I said, it's like being in a car with a navigational device. Have you ever been in a car when you're using a navigational device before? Have you ever been in a car before? You guys ever been in a car? We can start there. (laughs) It's like being in a car with a navigational device. If it says go 10 blocks and turn left, and you go two lights and turn right, it doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you need to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. Only problem is if you keep making the wrong turns, the road conditions will be different. They may be rougher and you're running out of time. So you have to be sensitive to listen to that voice so you can make the right choice about where you're supposed to be. And that voice sounds an awful lot like a coach because you haven't been practicing for nothing. It's game time. But you have to hear his voice. So... I'm at a point now where I have to choose a, a story. I'm not that, I mean, I have a bunch of, I've three, I, one story I can't do. So I'm gonna choose somebody who, hey, what's your name right there? In the pink, arms folded, still judging me, yes. What's your name? Jessica, it's a cool name, Jessica, that travels. You can be a black Jessica, white Jessica, Hispanic Jessica. Some names travel, some names don't travel. A name that doesn't travel, anybody know a black Becky? No, no, you don't, you don't. Jessica, so I have to choose between these two stories. Actually, at this point, I probably could have told them both. But anyway, um, so there's the story of the first time I did The Tonight Show on, uh, on NBC or first time I went to prison. Which story would you prefer, Jessica? Which one? The first one. Which one was the first one? I forgot already. <laughs> she said the first one, and then she said prison. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> for not making this complex. I really appreciate it a lot. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna do the Tonight Show story. Both of these stories are in my book. If you wanna get the, the book, it's outside. But I'm gonna, so I leave New York City. This is the story about getting, doing a Tonight Show. So I leave New York City because it's very expensive and I moved to California. Um, <laughs> no, it was less expensive because my cousin said I could stay on his couch. So I'm staying on my cousin's couch Drive all the way across the country, which is another amazing story. You understand, like there's, a, there's something on my way there because I was, I was homeless in New York City. You know, I was homeless in New York, living in my car. I come to get to Chicago to do a comedy show so I can get enough money to make it to California. I run out of money because my brakes went out. I got $16 left to my name, $16 and a one quarter tank of gas, and God got me to California on that. I don't even know. I, I don't, like, it's bananas. It's in the book. It's bananas. So, so in Los Angeles, there's a comedy club that, in my opinion, is the number one comedy club in the nation. It's called the Comedy and Magic Club. It's in Hermosa Beach, California. I was there two nights ago for the first time in a while. 
This club at the time was so prestigious, I could not even get inside the club. Literally, I couldn't physically get in the club. I, I couldn't do it. But George Wallace called me up and said, hey, would you like to go to the Comedy and Magic Club? I'm like, yes. So he takes me to the club, but he can't get me on stage. He can only get me in the club. After the show, he takes me into the green room, and there's some soldiers in comedy in the green room. There's George Wallace, there's Gary Shanley, and there's Jay Leno. And then it's just me. And at the time, they had all of this big spread of food. They had this huge spread of food, and it looked awesome. But I was only eating French fries because I didn't feel like I belonged. I hadn't contributed anything to this conversation. I just didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged there. And at the time, they were working on a joke. Some of you guys may remember, a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was soon in the league for $400 million. Now, uh, all of these guys are helping Jay Leno with that subject for the monologue on The Tonight Show. I ain't saying nothing. Nibbling on fries, even though I'm very, very hungry in multiple ways. I'm sitting, but you're, here's the thing. Your gift will make room for you. So they're working on a joke, then they got quiet and they looked at me. And I was like, oh, snap. This is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye and he's suing the league for $400 million. Oh, he's not gonna see half of it. <laughs> for real. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading. I was practicing. I didn't know I was practicing. Just like you've been practicing. Maybe you don't know you've been practicing. But a lot of these things that have been causing you to, causing you to pain and discomfort, God did not cause it, but he will use it in practice and preparation for what he's called for you to do. The hill that you're climbing up seems awfully hard, and you're crying and you're in tears, but, it's, but those are the muscles that you needed in your hamstrings in order to be able to lift the trophy that he has for you at the top of the hill. I'm telling you, you've been practicing. And for a lot of you guys, again, it is game time, but you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So now, um, as a result of my practice, like I mentioned, I find funny everywhere. But also, I just find very interesting things everywhere as well. So me and my wife were looking at an uh, a old home video that we had. It, was, it wasn't super old. It wasn't like a VHS or whatever. Some of the young people was like, what's the vahush? Whatever. <laughs> so we're looking at this old this video, and I'm going to show you the video. But I didn't understand the power of this video until I watched it myself. I am the cameraman in this video. It's me taking it, but I didn't understand the power of it until I became an audience member of watching it. So let me set it up. It's a video of our youngest daughter being born. Well, she's not being born because I shouldn't show you that video. My wife would be like, what'd you show them people? Anyway, so, so our daughter is two and a half minutes old at this time. And they got her under a little, they got her under a little chicken warmer, the thing to, keep the thing to keep the french fries warm. I don't know what kind of insurance we have, but they got the little light on her. And she's laying there and the nurse is about to clean her up and then she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. It's okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. Okay, baby. Yo, that was pretty doggone powerful. Now, it's like seven, 
maybe seven and a half minutes or so later, the nurse is done cleaning her up, and she starts to cry again. I speak up, and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. So listen, there's going to be times in life where you feel like you've just been practicing and practicing and practicing. And maybe you're even frustrated, even to the point of tears. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he's right here. He loves you. All you have to do is open your eyes. You hear some music? Yeah, not yet, man, not yet. You're getting us emotional, it's not your concert. You gotta wait a second, you just gotta wait, you gotta wait. Did y'all feel that? Like I was all, Lord, is that you? No, that dude right there, it's that dude. So <laughs> I got one more story I need to tell. And then he's supposed to jump in, but no, he all early, and y'all all emotional, like, why are they crying already, dude? So, so you just got, wait a second, one more story. That was smooth, though, that was smooth. Are you married? You married? Not yet. Well, you, it's coming soon, man. You smooth. That brother's smooth. So I got to tell one more story first, but this is, a, this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. In fact, the, the, but first I want to tell you how I came up with this story. And then after I tell you how I came up with it, then that dude's supposed to slide in right there. So this is a story about the good room. How many people here know what the good room is? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about when I say the good room. See, there's like, I don't see any hands going up right now. The truth is, is mostly all of you do know what the good room is. You just, I just never finished the joke, never made the words so you can understand it. But let me explain to you what the good room is. The good room is that room in your grandmother's house or your aunt's house or maybe your house. It's that one room that's better than the rest of the house. Can't nobody go in there. It's plastic on the furniture. The china is located there. It's really just for looks. How many people know what the good room is now? Raise your hand. Exactly. So I'm writing this joke about the good room, and in the middle of writing this joke, God stops me and tells me to tell this story to his people instead. So I'm going to tell you the story. Now would be a great time to jump in if you wanted to, man. I don't know if you, he early and late. That is amazing. I don't know how you do both. He's awesome. So I want everyone in here, everyone watching, I want you to imagine this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. I was writing a joke and he showed me this and I'm like, yo, and I feel like I should share it with you. So I want you to imagine that you are a house. Imagine that you're a house and outside of the house is Jesus Christ and he wants to come in, but he'll never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. And the reason some people in this room won't invite Jesus into the house is because you're cool with the way things are right now. In fact, there's probably been other people who have tried to force him into your house. But he's still not going to come in that way. He wants you to invite him in. But the reason you haven't invited him into the house is because you're okay with the way things are right now, so it would seem. Whenever something happens, whenever you need him, whenever something goes wrong, you walk up to the door, crack it open, say a little prayer. 
ask him to do something, then you close the door and go back into the house. But that's not a relationship at all. How can you hear his voice under those circumstances? How can you utilize the practice that he didn't cause, but he will use under those circumstances? And the reason you won't let him into the house for some of you is because your house is a mess. You think you need to clean it up first. There may be drugs or pornography in the house, or you're just doing a bunch of stuff, or you're trying to stay extra busy to be distracted from the mess, or relationships. You brought other people in the house, hoping that maybe somehow they could clean it up or help you clean it up, but they can't. The only one who can truly clean it up is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand, waiting on you to truly open the door. And there's other people here right now. You used to have Jesus in the whole house, but whether you realize it or not, you've moved him to just one room in the house, the good room. Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not, it's just that one room. You quote scripture, like the whole house is clean, but it's just that one room. You give money, but it's just that one room. You pray once a day, but it's just that one room. Jesus wants access to the whole house, and I'm telling you, if you will just open his door and let him in, he'll show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit. And they will make sure the house is fully functioning the way it was intended to. But none of this happens. None of this happens if you don't open the door. Because he will not. He will never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. So if everyone in here, if you could just close your eyes, bow your head. If you're in here right now and you know that this is for you, and you need to invite Jesus into your house, whether it be for the first time or to truly give him full access to the house. I'm gonna ask you to do something really simple. On the count of three, I just simply want you to put your hand in the air. Don't overthink this, but if that's you, you need to invite Jesus into your house for the first time or to give him full access again. On the count of three, just simply put your hand in the air. Hands are already going up. One, two, three. Praise God. Praise God. Go ahead and put your hand down and then look up at me. Here's what I want to say to you. I want everyone in the room to hear this. I am proud of you. I'm telling you, more times than not, God will give me a number of how many times to repeat that phrase because some people in the room have not received it from a father's voice. So I'm going to repeat that phrase that number of times and all I want you to do is receive that phrase from a father's voice. I am proud of you. 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 This isn't just for the people who raise their hand. I am proud of you. 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 Now, I'm going to ask you to do something else. This is very important. Jesus says, if you will take a stand for me before man, I will take a stand for you before my Father in heaven. So that's going to look like right here in this building this morning is everyone who raised their hand and even those who should have raised their hand. On a count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and remain standing. 
This is very important. If you can't stand in here where we're proud of you, you won't be able to stand out there. So the reason I want you to do this is because you're going to stand up and remain standing and we're going to pray together. Because when you raised your hand, it was as if you were reaching for the doorknob. Notice that the doorknob is pretty tall in this scenario. It's actually not. It's because you're coming to him like a child. It's because you're coming to him like a child. Because if you knew all you needed to know, you would be just fine. But there's some stuff that you don't understand that he wants to help you with. When you raised your hand, you were saying yes. But when you stand up and we do this prayer together, it's as if you're blowing the door open so you can come into the house and Jesus can have his way. So again, this is for everyone who raised their hand and even those who should have raised their hand. On the count of three, I want you to stand up and remain standing. And to help with that, everyone around you, they're going to applaud as loud as they can. But it will not compare to the applause that the angels in heaven will be doing when you stand to your feet and remain standing. One, two, three. Just stand up and remain standing. standing up don't clap just receive the applause of the people around you praise God praise God all right we're gonna pray keep standing we're gonna do a prayer I am proud of you we're gonna do a prayer together and then normally they bring up a white dude to make it official I don't know why they gotta do that part we're laughing in the middle of a life-changing moment there's grown men in here with tears in their eyes right now wiping them away we're laughing in the middle of a life-changing moment. God is different. He wants you to laugh. He wants you to have joy. To the two people who are in this room who are sitting, on, who are sitting down because you couldn't stand up, you, you can do this. It's your time. The time is now. So we're about to do a prayer. And you're not going to turn into an angel after this. You're not going to grow wings. You're going to be different on the inside. This is so cool. Here's what I'm feeling right now. Some of you guys are going to almost immediately you lose the taste for a couple of the friends that you currently have. And I want you to know it's okay. God's going to replace them with the friends that you need as opposed to the ones that you think you wanted. So it's okay to not respond when they reach out. This is so dope. Now I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you one more thing. We're going to pray. No, we're going to pray first. Re repeat this prayer after me in the privacy of your heart. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to this earth to die for me, to die for my sins. I thank you that he rose again on the third day. Come into my house, Lord. Come into my heart and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna tell you guys one more thing. This is for a bunch of people in the room. The church where I went to, where I got saved at, the church, when it was first built, they had five trees that they put in front of the church. And then over the years, four of the trees were really big and one of them was small. And the pastor asked the gardener, why is this tree so small? And the gardener came over with these two big four by fours. Two dudes came over and they started beating the base of this tree. They started beating the base of the tree. And my pastor at the time was like, yo, what, why are you, what are you doing? And he explained, they explained that when you beat the base of this tree, it sends it into a trauma. 
and his natural response is to grow. Some of you guys have been beat. You've been hurt. You've been through it. And your natural response is to grow. But some people under that circumstance grow angry. They grow bitter. They grow frustrated. They grow away from God. But what you just decided to do is that you're going to grow up towards him. But now what you want to do is get some other Christians alongside of you so you can grow in the right direction, so you can bear the fruit that we need you to bear, so the people around you can enjoy your fruit. And you just made a decision today to do that. And for that, I am proud of you. I love you. I'll be outside signing stuff. I love you guys. I love you. Do something a little different than what you would normally do before you leave here. Meet somebody. Just do something a little different to break up the norm you would always do. Thank you so much. Here comes the white guy. I told you that was going to happen. So I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother.